1: This is Utah Weekly Forum, a public affairs show dedicated to learning more about the issues affecting our lives and health and exploring the resources available in our diverse communities to help. Here's your host, Rebecca Cressman. Welcome. And you know, today we're going to learn a lot more about the resources and the issues that are affecting those of us who are aging. And that is all of us here in the state of Utah. Joining us from the Utah Commission on Aging is Rob NC. He's the executive director. Rob, thanks for being here today.
0: Rebecca, it's a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Now, tell me where we are at now that the legislature has wrapped up this year's session. How does that affect how the state takes care of those who are aging and elderly?
0: So every year, the Commission on Aging has a responsibility to report to the legislature our activities the prior year. And the commission's role in the state is primarily to coordinate research and academia, along with public policy input, and all of those organizations that are involved in delivering services to the community. And and in the middle of all of that is to have a, a network of communication channels that help uh, these different organizations communicate, work together. From this legislative session, uh, they have asked the commission to uh, gather their stakeholders and to prepare a new 10-year master plan for aging for the state. And so that responsibility is something we're in the middle of right now, identifying the core components, the priorities, as well as being ready to deliver uh, a product to the legislature by early November.
1: So when you say as stakeholders, who are the, the stakeholders that are invested in the different resources that are a part of the Utah Commission on Aging?
0: That's a great question statute that created the commission calls for 24 different, uh, sectors to be represented. And this could be from healthcare, from business community, uh, from our diverse cultural communities, and you can, you know, education and so on. But in addition to that core group, we have a constituent following of a, over 200 organizations that participate in our forums, uh, you know, that share ideas, best practices, and work together. And so you can think of just about anything that touches in a person's life from finance to healthcare to housing to food sufficiency. We have a responsibility to know where those organizations are and to make sure we connect, help connect people efficiently to access those resources if they don't know how to get to them on their own.
1: Mm -hmm. Which I would think many of us don't. It's not something that we're aware of. I happen to have been aware of your work, your important work. Uh, A number of years ago, we worked together on a project for uh, educating seniors on the risk of fraud that can happen within your family, within your community, within your neighborhood. And that's when I started to open the door to realize there is a lot that is happening to try to help protect uh, the elderly in Utah. And it's centered at the Utah Commission on Aging Rob as we talk more about this 10-year plan that you're developing can you give us a big picture in terms of population in Utah uh, how many of us are a- already kind of in that older age bracket
0: so again older age is sort of a definition by uh, relativity <laughs> you know <laughs> that's true so older older adulthood can begin, let's say, as early as 50 or 55. If you look at most of the data that's tracked nationally or in the state, they would consider an older adult 65-plus uh, as far as services that they can provide. And that's, of course, when Medicare kicks in and and other things like Social Security traditionally kick in. And so when you think about the 65-plus population, sometime in the next 15 years there will be one in every five citizens of the state of Utah will be 65 plus. And and so that's a fairly significant margin of the population.
1: Wow, 20% 20 approximately.
0: Correct. Look at me do my math, right. Yeah, yeah. And then when you think of the 50 plus, you know, that's even a larger, even larger number. But not everybody requires the same level of service. You know, people age differently. Uh, They have different health issues. And so our job is to be able to help people start preparing for not only the challenges of aging but also to take advantage of the opportunities that come as we as we grow older.
1: All right. So as you are working with these stakeholders and you're developing a 10-year plan, what are some of the issues and challenges that you are are working to address?
0: So there are some core things that we consider to be important elements uh, for a successful plan. And one of them is is that it has uh, the backing of the state, and that is why we amended the statute so that the legislature was asking for this and they're buying in as a a stakeholder in this process. And we have the support of the executive branch through uh, their leadership in the Department of Health and Human Services as well. Uh, We want to gather data. Uh, and have gathered data that helps make sure that this is a data driven process and that we make it actionable and that we cover a variety of issues, which I'll touch on in a moment. But the stakeholder things I mentioned is really important that we have inclusiveness and that we don't leave out groups that folks aren't marginalized and that we are able to do uh, rural and urban and and, uh, you know, across the, the the wage spectrum as well. And finally, what we want to make sure is that we have measurable outcomes so we can demonstrate that the work we're doing is actually making an impact. When you you talk about the core issues, I think there are a couple of buckets that that really stand out. One is obviously the financial security. And as you mentioned, you and I have spent some time together uh, preparing educational materials uh, across uh, various languages as well. Uh, to help people protect themselves from fraud and how to recognize it and, and to prevent, you know, personal attacks on their, uh, their financial well-being. Health and wellness, how we age, again, is really critical and that we're doing things to put uh, good health in our favor. We can't always predict a disability or an accident, but we certainly could do things to maintain our health along the way by exercising, taking care of our brain health and, and eating well. Uh, but you can only eat well if you can afford a proper nutrition, which is another whole bucket, right? Sure. Um, and then ultimately, there are some broader range things like the caregiving. Family caregivers account for over $4 billion of value add to our economy every year. And we have to have a robust plan in place to make sure that those family caregivers um can navigate the challenges of caring for a loved one, could be a child, could be a spouse, could be a parent, and uh, being able to maintain their own financial and and health well-being. Uh, the concept of advanced care planning is something we all need to be thinking about. Um, we just completed a conference, our 7th Annual Advanced Care Planning Conference, where we train other providers and social workers about the importance of an advanced directive or a POLST agreement, which is a provider order of life-sustaining treatment, and how that plays into a person's life, when they should have one, what the purpose is, and how critical that is, that an individual's choices can be known and can be honored uh, by the providers who care for them in there's, if there's an emergency or, or they can't speak for themselves. That's a really important well, piece. And,
1: and I believe that, you know, throughout the, through the pandemic, when we had people of all ages, but in particularly those who are, were elderly, um, were hospitalized at a much higher rate and they found themselves uh, you know struggling to breathe and let alone communicate and we started to see that without having advanced directives in the hospital or in the hands of family members nobody could adequately uh choose what would be the choice of that patient if if they could communicate that to you so yeah, that's- yeah that so this is very important that everybody has this advanced directive uh produced, so you would be providing that kind of resources and information for the elderly in every population to have access to that.
0: So the other thing to keep in mind, and most people don't think of this, but an advanced directive really should uh, apply to, it applies to everybody who's reached adulthood. So from age 18 on, you're no longer a child. And in order for your your parents or anyone to act on your behalf, you have to have a designated health agent. And uh, failure to do that, you know, the systems are going to act on you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you sometimes may not get that kind of treatment that you would actually want for yourself. Other decisions are more appropriate, you know, as you get towards end of life in terms of the kind of resuscitation support and nutrition and all of those things. But you mentioned something really important, Rebecca, you mentioned the pandemic that we're all so fond, hopefully a little bit in our rear view mirror. It's Uh, it's barely
1: there, but (laughs) it is behind us.
0: (laughs) It's going to be with us for a while, but every issue you talk about where there may be a challenge, like, like I say, a fraud or or, or uh, food security and those things. All of those were amplified during the pandemic. And if there was a problem of abuse, it was twice as bad. And part of that was as you suggested, people weren't able to have the normal socialization and checks and balances in place. and and uh, issues of social isolation really exacerbated those uh, those problems that were coming through that. But it's a real challenge to help people be prepared for those kinds of circumstances that really hit us pretty quick. And how can we be resilient through all of that? But but one bright star that came from all of that was the commitment of the state and all of the agencies and stakeholders we've talked about to utilize technology to reach individuals who may be isolated, too chronically ill, or rural or other circumstances and make sure that the state has a good broadband plan, which they do, and also that we have the ability to make it affordable for everybody. And then we have a team of volunteers that the commission is putting together to help train people and mentor them on how to use their technology and how to use it safely, and most importantly, how to access Programs and resources that could give them help in all of the categories we're talking about.
1: Oh, you know what? As you describe it, and for those who've just joined us, this is Rob NC who's the executive director of the Utah Commission on Aging. Um, as you're describing that the how the pandemic highlighted the lack of technology that exists in so many homes, it reminded me of personally um, trying to help my 88 year old father be able to understand what happened. Or you know how to fix it when the wi fi goes down what how to reroute things, how to uh, connect through his phone versus the laptop? This world has become so use to us all using technology that is in teeny, teeny little hands. And then you think about elderly hands trying to identify with vision problems and arthritis and other challenges that might be a part of that, trying to learn and adapt to this quick-paced technology changing that's occurring. It's just my heart uh, just hurts for those who felt left behind.
0: So there's no question that having uh, in-person Interpersonal relationships and connections is so important to our social and mental health well being. But, you know, in addition to that, if we're able to provide connectivity, people can find resources at their fingertips. They can uh, connect in ways they'd never imagined before. The, the world of virtual travel and education just, just, dramatically opened up for people who could no longer physically, you know, get on a plane or go on a boat somewhere, but they can get online with a university professor and they can do this virtual tour that can, it's, they're really quite fascinating. And, and so there's, there's a way that we can be patiently take those baby steps to help those folks become comfortable with technology who are not, because ultimately it is an important part of our future. And, And in order to get fair, equitable access to these resources to everybody, technology has to play an important role in that. And we're very committed to making that an important part of our master plan going forward.
1: Making sure the broadband access is there as well as the tools uh, for them to be able to connect. And I loved that you said, Rob, also turning to the community for volunteers to be able to help, um, help those who need to get it set up to be able to assess what knowledge they do have. And, and I shouldn't discredit my, my 88-year-old father because he can navigate f- Facebook. <laughs> so he's, excellent, yeah. you know, he's on there. <laughs> but but the isolation is not good for our emotional health and it's not good for our physical health.
2: I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt.
0: We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed.
2: That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.
1: So I know that that's a concern of yours with the Commission of Aging.
0: Well, there's was a little running joke in my family. My father passed away when he was ninety-four, just mm. almost ten years ago. But in the last years of his life, it was an accomplishment just to have his remote set up with the TV and the V. And what was the DVD player, right at the time? And uh, I would get these phone calls from him, and he would say, "Okay, I have the remote in my hand. What button do I push?" Yes, <laughs> so yes, like, yes. I was going to help him navigate, you know, all of that. But uh, truthfully, having older adults not only some just needed none. Some just need to have the way pointed, but others may need, you know, just some tutoring and mentoring and an advocate, a technology advocate working with them that can patiently help them learn the pieces that will help enhance their lives. And that's what we're very committed to.
1: Wonderful. And so that'd be one of the tenets that will be included in the ten-year plan that you're developing for the state of Correct. Utah. Mm-hmm. What's what's another tack- or another area that you're going to be tackling?
0: So uh, outside of issue-specific things, mm-hmm. I think there's a broad environment. Uh, you've heard the term before, age-friendly communities, uh, where people want to age in place and that the communities are designed that can address the issues for transportation and housing affordability and social connectivity across a spectrum of ages. And, and interestingly enough, the age-friendly community concept applies to age-friendly universities and age-friendly health care and And so it's really just a more mature approach and a collaborative approach to make sure that as we address the issues of our times, that we're doing it in a way that is all inclusive. And uh, that that's it, very intentional, and it takes an effort to sort of develop that mindset. So this theme of age friendly, growth is is really important in our uh, concept as well
1: as you're mentioning that the age-friendly health care it it brought me back to my father who's bedridden and it's very difficult for him to get himself to um, a doctor's clinic uh, his yes. his wife is seventy eight and he can't she can't lift him and they've been able to use some volunteers that have been helpful because they live out of town they're not close for me they're you know eight hundred miles away but one of the things we did put in place was the doctor when possible will do uh, some checkups virtually and yes. and and that has been extraordinary uh, for yep. them so I know that would be something that would be maybe you'd consider it age friendly correct.
0: I absolutely would. Uh, and, and the fact that we're utilizing technology to address those areas that were more difficult. It's hard for an older adult, sometimes less mobile, to take the energy, or somebody who's chronically ill, to drive all the way to town and sit for two hours for a doctor's appointment, go back home. It just exhausts them. Uh, and as well as affects their, their health. But if we can continue to apply telemedicine and telehealth in appropriate televisit modes, uh, that really does help the patient as well as makes it more efficient for the providers often.
1: You know, with the Utah Commission on Aging, you are probably seeing our population change, um, the aging population, as we become more diverse as a state. So are multiple languages and cultural sensitivities a part of that 10-year plan?
0: Oh, yes. And, And I have to say that that's honestly maybe one of the greatest challenges we have, so you think about all the systems we built. They were built with a demographic that existed at the time, the way people were used to caring for older adults, the way we did nursing homes, the way, you know, and, and all of a sudden you have a real influx of another community where they are different in the way they may manage their aging years, the way they care and look at their elders, whether it's Hispanic, whether it's Asian American, whether it's, you know, from various countries in Africa or other parts of the world. Being able to help reach those communities and build emissaries of trust so that they can understand the resources and, more importantly, we can understand what we could do to help them. How does that information need to come in order for them to be able to understand it, accept it, and trust it? And going back to our experience together, helping people understand the issues of fraud and reporting fraud, Sometimes there's fear and concern about government agencies and different barriers that keep people from accessing resources. But, but it does amplify the challenge, and even with our Native American populations, getting them the technology, resources, and care they need is something we are just decades behind. And and it is a big part of what we need to make a sincere dent in that curb. <laughs> So,
1: Well, one of the things yeah. you mentioned is overall an age-friendly environment, creating a, a, a state. We are in a community that uses large corridors for transportation. There's not a lot of – there's been some tracks built in Salt Lake County, correct? Um right. But there's not a lot of of – transportation options uh, for the elderly. It's not like they can walk a block typically to a local grocery store. What does an age-friendly environment look like for you that, that provides access, e- easier access for the elderly?
0: So that means creating communities that are self-sufficient so that when a person comes out of their home or their, or their condominium, that they have medical services and grocery services and other services within a very short distance, so these communities become more self-sufficient and uh, self-sustaining. Now, there are times when you have to connect to other communities, and so you do want to have a robust plan for for uh, mobility and transportation. So sometimes it's mass transit, sometimes it's volunteer drivers to help people get you know to a particular place. Um, there's kind of a variety of solutions, but we are only scratching the surface of becoming efficient at that. And I do think our public policy has to take a serious look about how we address that in the long term and and make sure there are more usable mobility options. It doesn't do any good to have a tracks line if an elderly elderly person has to walk a mile to get to it. (laughs) You know, and and so that just doesn't happen. And so, yes, we have to, There's still a lot of work going on, but I will say from my conversations with organizations uh, that are involved, uh, like UTA and so on, they are very invested in making sure that we are doing uh, some progressive thinking and innovative thinking of how we solve some of those problems, but we're not nearly there yet.
1: Now, we have just about four minutes left together, Rob, and I appreciate that you've answered a lot of my questions. Rob Encey, he's the executive director of the Utah Commission of Aging. I know that you just held uh, a summit, the 7th Annual Advanced Care Planning Virtual Summit. How often do you hold summits, and how do uh, those of us who live in the community tap into these this information so that we can be advocating for a a more age-friendly environment? and world for the elderly in Utah?
0: Right. So there are some major topics we address every year on an annual basis. So on advanced care planning, we do one on caregiving. We do one on false prevention. We do one on um, uh, pr- pr- protecting folks from elder abuse and fraud. So those are sort of four main cycles we do every year. At every quarter, we have a quarterly Utah Commission on Aging Issue Summit where the public is welcome to come, but a lot of the stakeholders come, and we talk about a variety of topics uh, that will help educate people on what resources are available, uh, what policy issues need to be, you know, pursued. But the center of all of this that I'd like to, to point out is the the resource on the web that really evolved during the pandemic, and it's now fully flushed out and continually adding content, and that is the website utahaging.org
1: utahaging.org
0: right now if somebody knows how to find a resource like I know I need to get respite care I'm going to call my local area agency on aging but if they have no clue about that stuff they go to utahaging.org and we will help you navigate to that website how to get to resources specialty speakers educational outlets what research is going on uh, 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 lifelong learning programs I mean across the gamut it's a it's a one-stop virtual navigation home for all things aging in the state of Utah.
1: And I'll concur. I just clicked right in as we're talking to UtahAging.org. And as you go through, you can see different areas, very bold and easy for you to identify, helping it for us to understand more about Alzheimer's disease and dementia plans, understanding more about aging arts and professional resources that are out there, media centers. And, And I love this. At the very bottom, you keep scrolling, you'll see a calendar of activities that people can uh, join in on uh, with uh, activities from Roy and, and other cities throughout the state of Utah. So that's very inviting for someone who's ready to kind of add more, um, more interaction in their life. We all need more interaction. So just go to utahaging.org.
0: The, uh, the calendar was developed specially for the commission. And includes the programming from all the AAAs of the state. Not all of them are on board yet, but coming into the fold, as well as commission and commission partners. So a person has a one-stop shop. If they want to go find out online as well as in-person activities almost anywhere in the state.
1: Taylorsville. I'm looking online. Grantsville. It's just extraordinary to have that all together in one calendar. Uh, Rob Encey, the executive director of the Utah Commission on Aging, working on a very specific 10-year plan uh, to make sure that we're including all needs of all of the elderly here in the state of Utah. If we have questions, is, there, is that where we go?
0: Yes. Go there, uh, and there's a place to connect to, you, to an email address. And like I say, we will have live volunteers in the months ahead who can answer a toll-free number and answer questions as well. That's not quite online yet, but soon.
1: But, and, well, and that will be listed on the website once that toll-free number yes. is available. Rob, thank yes, you for will. joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum.
0: Rebecca, always good to talk with you. Thank you. Utah Weekly
1: Forum is produced by KSFI FM 100.3 in Salt Lake City, a Bonneville International Station. Subscribe to the Utah Weekly Forum podcast online and email us at rebecca at fm100.com.
2: I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold.